Welcome to the Science of Psychotherapy podcast with your hosts, Richard Hill and Matthew Darlitz. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Science of Psychotherapy podcast. I'm Matthew Darlitz, Editor-in-Chief of the Science of Psychotherapy and as always here with Richard Hill. Hi, Richard. Hey, Matt. Really good to to see you again. Goodness gracious me. We're sort of uh, managing and dealing with our summer, the the Northern Hemisphere. They've got, uh, uh, I mean, California's just the same as everywhere, but I notice up (laughs) in the top of the the United States there, there's snow and sleet and goodness gracious me. So the world's all uh, doing its summer and winter things. And, weather uh, is happening, yes. <laughs> but, but, but here we are, no matter what the weather, we're like postmen, I suppose. Rain, hail, sleet or snow, we're in your earphones and, of course, now on YouTube because that's something we need to tell people. Oh, yes. We've been, we've been transferring as many of the recordings uh, mm. uh, that we've got onto YouTube so you can actually go in and watch the uh, the speakers present yeah. the material as as well as listen to it. So sometimes Absolutely. there's a way of getting more out of stuff when you're watching the facial expressions and various other things. Absolutely. And you can see my messy office. <laughs> oh, yes, and you can see Matt's messy office. Uh, yeah, well, that's right. We do have to worry about what's in the background. Anyway, we okay. won't talk about that. But we've got two fabulous people with uh, with us today. Again, something that has been previewed in the in the magazine. We have a, a, a chapter of their fabulous new book in the magazine uh, mm-hmm. in the January issue. So tell us a bit about them, Matt. Okay, yes. Yeah. So the book is A Polyvagal Theory and the Developing Child, uh, Check out the show notes. We'll have a link in there. And uh, the two authors, Dr. Marilyn Sanders, she's a pediatrician and neonatologist, a professor of pediatrics at the Connecticut Children's Medical Center in Hartford, Connecticut, and a psychiatrist, George Thompson. um, And he works in the Kansas City area, building emotionally safe, curious and collaborative cultures. Yeah, which is just fantastic stuff, and the book's great, and uh, you know you, you you'll get a beautiful sense of it in the uh, in in the January uh, little excerpt that, that we've got there of the chapter six actually. Mm-hmm. So um, so we've got someone in, in Kansas or nearby to Kansas, and someone over on the east coast. So we're all over the place today, and we're bringing them all together through the power of our podcast and Zoom. Let's go over to our friends in America. Marilyn and George, thank you so much for joining us here on the Science of Psychotherapy podcast. So great to have you with us. Our pleasure. Great to be here. Yes, and Richard here as well, of course. Uh, uh, very excited to, to have you on because, uh, you know, we've published a, uh, an excerpt from your fabulous new book, which we've, which we've already talked about in our introduction. Uh, it, is a, it is a wonderful uh, book, and I'm so pleased. Uh, I was saying to you before we came on air that I wish I had that when I was a, uh, when I was a dad. I, I would have been much better. So, so, but perhaps just doing doing that uh, that basic sort of thing of of how this is built up, how that book came about, your connections with Steve. Would you guys like to just sort of, in your own tandem, tell us the story? Sure. So, George, I'll start, and then you can just jump in like we typically do. <laughs> So my connection to Steve Porges started in 2012 when a friend of mine who's a clinical psychologist, Jeff Magnavita, gave me the book, the first book, the 2011 book, and he asked me if I would be willing to review it for his journal, the Journal of Unified uh, Psychotherapy. He said, I think it'll be right up your alley. And I was immediately grabbed by polyvagal theory 
and the way polyvagal theory made sense for me of so many things in my practice that I had viscerally known or felt, but did not necessarily have a theoretical framework for. So I wrote the review. A couple of years later, I had the opportunity to meet Steve, introduce myself to him. Anybody who's ever spoken to Steve knows that he's the world's most gracious human being. I gave him a copy of my review. He put it on his website. About a year later, I attended a five-day seminar that he did in what used to be called the Cape Cod Institute, a lovely place where you could go and sort of meet the researcher or the author. And we got into sort of a repartee, uh, and we stayed in touch. And then, George, what year was it, do you think, that we met? Probably, do you have a marker for that? Um, I'm thinking 2017, something like that, 16. Okay, that sounds about right. So then George and I were introduced by Deb Dana, whom I'm sure your entire audience knows. And I, um, we had a really nice time and talked about a lot of things. And in 2018, I submitted a book proposal to Norton and got back the best email I've ever gotten uh, from the editor, which said, this was supposed to be a rejection email, but I can't. Ah. Yet. And basically, she felt that my focus, which I had intended to be newborn intensive care, was too narrow and said that if I was interested in broadening the focus, and if that uh, involved taking on a co-author, that was fine. They would be interested. So enter George. I turned to George and said, are you willing to be my co-author? Now I'm going to let you take it from there, George. Well, I, I learned about polyvagal theory from Dan Hughes, the creator of dyadic developmental mm-hmm. psychotherapy uh, in his training, because I was, um, I'm a child psychiatrist and I was learning about um, how do you help kids form bonds of attachment when they've experienced early childhood trauma and they've taken the root of basic mistrust instead of basic trust that Eric Erickson described. And um, uh, as I was learning about that, Dan um, talked to us about polyvagal theory, which I had never heard of before. This was also 2012. And um, I was very excited about it because it explained a lot of things about the work that I was doing with kids. Um, And it also explained um, some things that I was uh, seeing um, and working with medical students on interviewing their patients. I had a group of patients, a group of medical students that they really didn't understand why they should learn about communication. Uh, One of them said, I've been talking since I was two. Why do I need a course in talking? Uh, <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> so, uh, so I needed to answer that question. You know, I needed a, a good way of explaining it to them. And talking to them about the polyvagal theory was actually very helpful because it gave them a neurobiological explanation. And the ones that tended to say that were more interested in the science of medicine rather than the humanism of medicine. And so adding in polyvagal theory to that course really captured a lot of uh, the students' attention that um, before had not been so interested in it. So I uh, met Steve at a conference in 2015 and said, hey, I've been teaching medical students about your theory, and it's been really helpful. Um, do you want to write an article together? And he said, you know, within 90 seconds of meeting, how about you write a chapter for my book? And um, that's the book that Marilyn and I both had chapters in. And as she said, Deb, Dana introduced us to each other and said, you guys will like each other. And it was 
um, we did. We really enjoyed our conversations um, from that moment on. And then when she called and said, hey, you want to write a book together? I was like, that sounds great. You know? And uh, and that's that's how we got started. Uh, it's a beautiful story and and, uh, and a beautiful thing that it's the the you know these these connections and engagements that go beyond the hello, nice to meet you, um, and um, it, it's it's beautiful to to see that happening because if, uh, I remember well, just with my own with Ernest Rossi. I mean, um, I went up and said hello along with several billion other people. And it was it was when I kept coming, I was I think it was about the fourth or fifth year, he thought, oh, this guy's not going away. And so that same thing with you, but but Stephen's always been so incredibly generous and and, and inclusive. It really is um uh just a, a, another wonderful tale of uh of of his comfort and and his co-comfort and this is something that uh, segue a little segue into to what we were sort of featuring in the the chapter 6 but that really important aspect of polyvagal theory that goes in there, there's self-regulation but there's co-regulation and how important this is with kids uh, parents and kids, teachers and kids, adults and kids. Uh, and this is what you've brought out in the book. So can we just, you know, tease out just some of the salient points there? I'd love to hear that, what you're, what we're thinking in your head as you brought it all through. So when we wrote our introduction, um, we wrote an introduction that was actually very personal in nature, I would say, George, right? Yeah. Um, we talked about the fact, and actually I think you were the ones who wrote these words, that we both care for populations of children who are ill-equipped to be in this world. My population of children, uh, babies who are in newborn intensive care are born too early. They have immature organ systems. And George's population of children, because they have come into this sort of state of mistrust, are also unable to be in this world. And so I think that for me, the things that were the most salient were, first of all, giving me a, a framework for what to me had, had really been kind of the bulwark of my work, which is being able to engage with families who are in the worst crisis of their life. They don't choose me. I just happen to be the neonatologist who's on when their baby is born. And I noticed over the years um, how I, I had just been able to connect with people in, in ways that were, it just wasn't clear to me why it was working like, like it was. And I think polyvagal theory helped me understand that. And I've always been very closely connected to the mental health community in our town. And over time, I have learned that, you know, being therapeutic is not something that is owned by psychiatry and psychology. So many caregivers in so many different dimensions can be therapeutic if they take the time. Take it away, George. Well, and what I would say, too, is that, um, you know, there's a lot of talk about coping skills these days and learning coping skills. And um, one of the things from polyvagal theory that's really important to understand is that um, we first learn to cope and to regulate ourselves in relationship. And um, co-regulation actually comes way before self-regulation. 
And so for the kids that Marilyn um, and I work with, they haven't had that co-regulation to start with. And so then they can't do self-regulation. Uh, it's, it's the same as acting a, asking a, a nine-month-old to use their coping skills. You know, that would be silly to do that, <laughs> right? You know, um, they're there in their high chair throwing their green beans on the floor, you know, and tell them to count to 10, but they don't know how to do any of that. We actually are all in a state of co-regulation all of the time. And it's not, it's not something that we grow out of. Um, we add an ability to self-regulate, but we're actually co-regulating each other all of the time. And um, one of the things that Marilyn and I discovered as we talked with each other is that um, in the neonatal intensive care unit, that team is co-regulating each other as they're in this high pressure, high stress environment of life and death situation. But also in a residential facility where there's kids that can blow up at any minute, that team needs to co-regulate each other too. So we have both co-regulation of a group of adults that are working with kids and then the co-regulation that the adults do with the kids um, as well. And then there's the family situation where parents are co-regulating each other and co-regulating the children too. And uh, I would say that there is a uh, there's an, an, a natural intuitive understanding of this co-regulation, but I think what is valuable is this this concrete scientific framework, like you were saying, that Stephen has brought to the table in the medical profession that you were you were saying, George, you know, oh, I've, I've been talking, you know, all my life. Why do I need to learn about communication? And uh, here we have something that, like you said, piqued their, their interest and saw that it was extremely valuable um, because of the scientific underpinnings. And I can't overstress that, Matthew, because many people talk about co-regulation. Many people talk about social engagement. Many people talk about connecting. But what a lot of those people do is to overlook the physiologic component of it. And that's what Steve is focused on. That it's not just being nice to each other. It's not just having a good time together. That what is happening is that our physiology in a dyadic way that is going back and forth is setting the platform from which our emotions and our behaviors evolve or arise. And that's really important to understand. And I think one of the other things that I think is, is really sort of a, a salient point about polyvagal theory is that when you understand the hierarchy, you know, the social engagement being at the top of the hierarchy, the uh, mobilization, fight or flight being in the middle, and then, of course, the immobilization being at the very bottom, then it becomes easier to not be blaming in your assessments of people, assessments of behaviors, so that the question, and, you know, this, this is sort of a mantra of people involved in polyvagal theory, is it's not what's wrong. It's what happened so that now, you know, a parent in the unit who might be viewed by other people as difficult, for example, that's the word difficult or challenging, becomes more understandable when you understand that there is a, a child at home that she's missing or there are stresses that are financial or 
uh, pandemic related or whatever that is causing her to feel unsafe so that she has a neuroception of danger and from which that behavior results. And I, I find many times when we address that, when we say it must be awful to be in your shoes, you know, to have a nine-year-old at home that you're missing, to be schlepping an hour each day, each way to come see your baby. How terrible that must be for you. How much additional stress that must put on you as opposed to, well, they never come to see the baby. Yeah, yeah. So an understanding that there's actually algorithms running here. They run by rules. And if we understand them, then we're going to have a lot more empathy, a lot more deeper understanding. Yes, and, and and that thing that that as we as we do these sort of judgmental stuff, these sort of cognitive superficial uh, judgments, because what I was thinking is we talk about co-regulation. Um, there's also co-dysregulation, and and which of course is why another reason why the book is there, saying that uh, if you shift from here, and Deb Dana's work does a, uh, does so beautifully. She sort of uh, describes, you know, so you might be doing this, but how about you do this? And uh, you do quite a lot of that in the book. And George, you you obviously have uh, got that attention with some of the really dysfunctional families that you deal with. You know, and it, I think it's um, very helpful to think of the brain is having a mind of its own. You know? and <laughs> the autonomic yeah. nervous system is sort of like that mind of its own that we're not consciously operating, um, at least before we start to learn about these things. And so when we have that perspective, then we can start to ask ourselves, um, what is my nervous system doing right now? Um, how is my nervous system? What does it need? You know, if it's a little keyed up, and I'm thinking of it not as much as what do I need? Because it doesn't really feel that way. It feels like something a little separate from me. And then it's easier to not take it personally and not be so judgmental. Or what is my child's nervous system doing right now? How's my child's nervous system responding to this set of circumstances? And what might I do to help their nervous system feel a little safer and calmer? And I want to emphasize, neither George nor I are saints, Right. Oh, oh. done. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. I know. I know you thought that you were going to get to talk to a saint tonight. But I tell you, we are not saints. We slip up. But I think that when you take this forward, and when it becomes your everyday way of looking at yourself in the world over time, you definitely see changes. And I've certainly seen changes in other staff in my unit. Um, I'm very close to, for example, my nursing director, and she will often say to me, you know, I thought about polyvagal theory when I was addressing this, whatever it was, with a staff member, because she's under siege, right? She's under right. siege. She's got people coming at her all day in every way. So, you know, it, it, there's a rain out effect, a positive rain out effect in your environment. As we were working on the book, I um, was sharing some of the chapters with my mother, who's a retired school principal, and her husband is a retired uh, electrical engineer who built fighter jets, you know, and um, they were really interested in the polyvagal theory. And at one point, my mother said, oh, I wonder why, I wonder if this is why this lady in my Bible study group is grouchy. And maybe instead of telling her, don't be so grouchy, I should find out what's going on with her. 
And it, it just made me so happy that the theory could get so easily applied to a very practical situation in an everyday life that somebody could actually take some action on right away and, and change their relationship and their understanding of each other. Yes, and, and shift that situation from discomfort to the, the seeking safety uh, and, mm-hmm. and achieving safety. You know, I, I know in the, in, uh, the chapter that we, we've published, but then also in other areas of the book, you, you talk and give lovely case examples and, uh, and discussions of, of particular experiences where there was a difficulty and then sort of how things were going uh, sour, but how to make them uh, take them back to the to the sweet sort of area. And this this neuroception, we've mentioned that word, that that non-conscious scanning of the environment for safety. So whether you need to up, you know, move yourself into sympathetic or whether you move yourself into parasympathetic or whether you stay in social and all these beautiful things that uh, you've 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 teased out there. Um, and and but it, it it's those areas where and I, I think what, what was the quote that um, that I I really loved it's um it's it's not uh, safety is more than the absence of danger or risk yeah. uh, and you gave some examples and I yeah. in my education masters uh, I looked at uh, Aaron Gruen and the the um, the freedom writers and looked at and those people that lived in environments that were in themselves. Uh, filled with 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 mm-hmm. potential threat uh, and those sorts of things. How's this How's this working? Because I can imagine in your in your situation, Marilyn. I mean, there's the, the the threat constantly that the child might die. And George, in some of the people who who are dealing with these these fearful, perhaps domestic violence cases, you know, these. Can you give us a couple of sort of instances of uh, uh, you know real instances that can give us a a felt sense a bit more? Sure. Um, First of all, that particular piece was something that was very dear to me because in medicine, after the Institute of Medicine report to air is is human, uh, there has been so much focus on harm reduction in hospitals. Okay. And it's as if, you know, preventing infections and, um, you know, how, what the outcomes are from cardiothoracic surgeries and how many times the surgeon has to go back in or whatever. It's as if that has become sort of uh, the mantra of the harm reduction in the United States. But people don't think about other harms. And it's not just about how many central line infections do we have. So one of the vignettes in there uh, is me. Actually, several are. And the, the vignette uh, in which Donna, who's a real nurse, and I told her that I had done this, um, questions the young resident about the dose that she had written, that's me. Um. That was in a neonatal intensive care uh, rotation. And I had written a dose of a medication. And Donna came up to me and said, Marilyn, I'm looking at this order is this really the dose you intend to give? And I looked at it and I went, oh my God, no, it's not. And because she was so gracious, so sort of um, inquisitive, curious, is this what you really want to do? It gave me the permission to look, to immediately recognize my mistake and go, oh my God, thank you so much for finding Mm. that. 
Because just imagine if she had come on like gangbusters, mm. if she had been accusatory, you know, I, I never trust you residents. I check everything you do, you know, blah, 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 blah. I mean, even though I'm sure I would have corrected my mistake, I would have walked away feeling really differently about myself as a doctor than I did. All right, George, I'm tossing it to you. Yeah, so safety in each of the three states is really different. So in fight flight, we might think safety is my ability to go it alone and defend myself from whatever threat is coming. And safety in the dorsal vagal state is my ability to withdraw to the point where I'm at safety. But safety for humans, most of the time, ought to be our ability to be with each other. And so that quote you were talking about, uh, safety isn't the absence of danger. We can think about safety as the being in the presence of a trusted, connected other. You know, And that's what Marilyn is talking about in that situation. The, the nurse that was helping her was a trusted, connected other that helped her through something that would feel dangerous to have made a mistake that could potentially have serious consequences. And so the parents that I work with, um, a similar kind of thing, they may still be in threatening situations. But um, one mom I'm thinking of in particular who uh, presented her lived experience at a conference that I chaired um, talked about, you know, her village, you know, and that the people around her in the residential facility that became part of her team and raising her kid and handling the different dangers that were going on. And so she had this group of trusted other people that um, she could really rely on. And so um, the, the threat didn't become smaller, but the ability to manage the threat was vastly enlarged by building a, a community of people who could um, count on each other in this um, kind of social engagement system and then meet any threat that comes up. Mm -hmm. And isn't that what happens in psychotherapy all the time where we might not be able to, and most of the time we can't reduce the external threat, um, but because we are a trusted connection, the resource, the capacity of the other to face those threats becomes much greater. Absolutely. And there's interesting research from uh, the social baseline theory um, mm -hmm. uh, uh, people. Um, for example, uh, a study of um, asking people to look at a hill and tell you how steep it is. Mm -hmm. And um, if you also ask them standing next to somebody that they've known for a while to say how steep the hill looks, then they say it doesn't look as steep. Mm -hmm. And the longer they've known each other or the more they trust each other, the less steep the hill looks. And I think that we're hardwired to see that we're more capable together than we are individually. Yeah, absolutely. And, and this is this beautiful uh, uh, aspect of, of rapport, but of, of co-creation of the therapeutic experience uh, th that um, as you do that, rapport that that's really just enabling uh one of the things is as you say it's enabling the client to actually believe in their resources but also heighten their their sensitivity to them uh, which of course makes the challenge just seem manageable and then then you know which of course is what bandura was talking about is how do we achieve self-efficacy uh so polyvagal has given us a greater sense that we can by co-regulating and co uh, and co-creating experiences we can actually just with a snap of a finger 
we can create a, a, a an ease towards self-efficacy. That's that's fascinating. And and the word I'm hearing also, I because I do I manage to to write quite a bit with people and work people in the social work area. So this is this is really, and I think this comes back to your title. Where you saw we're talking about healthy brains, we're talking about healthy kids, we're talking about healthy families, but it's also healthy communities, which is the uh, what you have in your subtitle. So this work with the broader aspect, what's what's how's that happening? So I think that there is a broader community of individuals at this point who are beginning to understand polyvagal theory and see the applicability to the work that they do. So there clearly is a movement at this point across a number of different disciplines. Uh, probably the, the largest so far is social work. And that relates to the, the marvelous work that Deb Dana has done. Yeah. But in addition to uh, Deb's work, um, there are groups of physicians who are now getting together to meet to talk about things such as, well, how can we incorporate polyvagal theory into medical school curricula? How can we uh, incorporate it into other aspects of training? You know, we had the Polyvagal Summit uh, this past year that was very well attended from folks who ha- came from a number of different disciplines. So, you know, there needs to be a a culture of connection that emerges in this very, very difficult time in the world. I mean, I don't know, I suppose maybe the Cuban Missile Crisis for me might have been the scariest time that I've ever dealt with in in my life. Um, the Cuban Missile Crisis, maybe the murder of Anwar Sadat because I thought the Middle East was going to go up in flames. I mean, those are... But those were um, those were relatively short-lived, a mm. few days, and the world didn't end. Um, this world of the pandemic and climate change, and you know the 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 real threats throughout the world in a number of different hotspot areas, create this this. Um, continuous, ongoing, pervasive sense of dis-ease. Yes. And I think polyvagal theory and the social engagement that it fosters and the opportunities to reach across to others are something that, at least to me, because I have to remain optimistic because it's my nature, um, hold great promise in terms of getting us through, certainly getting us through pandemic. No question about that. Yeah, absolutely. And I would say that um, another area that's a larger focus is um, people that are recognizing the application of the polyvagal theory at an organizational level. And so at organizations I've worked with and other organizations like Maryland's unit or a group Mm -hmm. that's in Arizona, um, in New Mexico, These are places where they want to embed and embody an understanding of polyvagal theory um, as as, uh, an aspect of changing the culture so that the culture itself supports a sense of safety for everybody and that the culture becomes therapeutic as well. Mm -hmm. So that if you are in in an environment where 
psychological safety is valued, recognized, um, and actively nurtured, that's a very different environment than like what Marilyn is talking about, that dis-ease in the world. And you feel like a feeling of coming home when you're in a situation like that. And I think that's arisen spontaneously um, or out of other kinds of intentions. But when we understand the polyvagal theory, we can be even more deliberate about creating that kind of culture that promotes uh, therapeutic effects of our relationships with each other. Mm, yeah. You know, one of the things I value more than than any other is my patients' families feeling like they are in good hands. It's also me in that that little vignette with, with the mother. And we very deliberately named, George did it, very deliberately named the organization that he was building, building in the book that Polyvagal Informed in good hands or good hands. Mm. Because, mm. you know, if we're looking at that issue of, of um, danger is more than the absence of, of risk, what we really want whether it is in the psychotherapeutic realm, in the you know, residential setting, in the newborn intensive care unit, across healthcare, in the classroom. I mean, we all want to feel that we're in good hands and that mm. our children are in good hands and the people we care about are in good hands. And I think at this point, there's so much misunderstanding and suspicion and you know just the the impact of pandemic for example you know you go into an emergency room because you think you're having a heart attack and you meet people who look like they're coming out of et mm. right yeah and it looks like that horrifying scene in et yeah. yeah, and we won't we won't we won't go there. But of course, we all know the the the, the disagreements and displeasures and crazy things that go on. The politics don't help. There is, but but we won't. We won't. Well, what I would what what I would say about it is that you can see any any kind of division where there's two people, two groups of people opposing each other. Both groups feel that their way of looking at things and their solutions are ways of moving towards safety. Mm-hmm. And so if we start to understand that, then we can say, we all want safety here. This is something yeah. we can agree on. Maybe we don't agree on the cause of the threat, and maybe we don't agree on how we move towards safety, but we all want to move towards safety. And then we can start to brainstorm, how do we do that together rather than in opposition with each other? Because opposing mm-hmm. each other doesn't increase mm-hmm. our safety. Yes, it's the fundamental of, of polyvagal theory in there. Absolutely. Sorry, no. No, no, no. no. That's, a, that's a brilliant point of, um, of, of common interest. Uh, George, I wanted to know how in the world of psychiatry, polyvagal theory is catching on in your world of psychiatry. So I think it's catching on um, slowly, uh, but among the people where it's catching on, it's really on fire. Okay. So you have pockets of people that that understand polyvagal theory and that it gives a language to the experience that they may have tried to explain to other people um, that has been hard to make sense of. I was at a conference in 2005 in which the the presenter was talking to um, medical educators in America about compassion. And they said, how many of you have had to justify being compassionate by quoting a scientific study, you know, and half of the people raised their hand. So there are 
people that are trying to um, implement compassionate approaches, but they need to have some sort of way of explaining what it is, what's happening. And so for those people that have that intention already, who then come across the polyvagal theory, that's a marriage made in heaven because now they have a way of explaining this in neurobiological terms, which you guys know is very effective way of understanding an aspect of human behavior, um, but also communicating it to other people. Brilliant. Yeah, that's a, that's, a, that's a beautiful sort of way of looking at that. That's a, And it does sit and it, uh, it, it fits into frameworks of thinking. And that is one of the curious uh, aspects that we can keep exploring is why, you know, not so much what the resistance is, but kind of what the resistance is. You know, I wonder why that doesn't sit so well with you as, as it does. And this is, uh, of course, a common discussion amongst many, many topics um, of which polyvagal is, 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 is certainly uh, one of them. And I would like to see it more broadly, uh, broadly held. But uh, I think Matt's just sort of having a yep. think about the time we're at, aren't we? Uh, the time we're at, and I want to plug the book. So Polyvagal Theory and the Developing Child. Tell us who are you aiming um, to reach with the book? So um, I think a lot of different people could read this book, but therapist for sure, um, because we give a number of examples of how uh, polyvagal theory affects children from early age and um, those children might show up in therapists' offices or as adults, um, but also uh, the medical world um, more in general, medical professionals. And then um, we do have some information for, for teachers and educators as well. And I've had a number of my friends read the book and find it helpful, even though they're not from any of these worlds. Um, one of my friends who's an engineer and uh, ran a transportation department for the state that I live in, said, this is sort of the unified field theory for child development, isn't it? And I just loved his comment about that. And he's not a psychological, he's not somebody that studied psychology, you know, but that was his impression of it. Yeah. Well, yeah. there's lovely, there's lots of lovely uh, uh, sort of uh, cases and examples which are readable, uh, which are universally readable and, uh, you know, it have is. a universal message through. That, that might be, a, yes, it, it is easy to read. It's not a highly technical book. So just wanted to let people know that it's an easy read. And if anyone has read the excerpt from our January issue, you will be able to see that. So, yeah. Sorry, Richard. Yeah. Now, we're sort of tickling over in, in, into our, our time frame of things. Now, because we get compressed in time, there are things we don't ask that are important. So so what, what we'll ask is, is there anything that's important that you would have liked to have said that we haven't asked? And, uh, you know, if we've done quite well, what's your sort of summary? What's your, your uh, leaving comments, your uh, final gifts? I would say that understanding the polyvagal theory allows us to be compassionate about the times we're not at our best because we can understand what has triggered us to go into a fight-flight state or a, a state of withdrawal or disconnection. Um, but we can understand it in a different way that we don't have to feel bad about ourselves or, or put ourselves down for it. Um, and it also then gives us ways of of correcting for it and coming back and making a repair to say to somebody, you know, I, I wasn't in my best frame of mind there, you know, but um, I'd like to try it again. Is that possible? Mm -hmm. And that's a very freeing and um, 
nurturing kind of perspective to have. And I think for myself, I would say that I find polyvagal theory a philosophy of care for my professional work. Um, I think, you know, we've been far too long caught in the Cartesian dualism of mind and body. Um, Medicine has certainly suffered greatly from that. Uh, Polyvagal theory gives us a lot of insight into a lot of the chronic maladies that are worldwide in their impact and in the burden of suffering. And I would encourage people to, you know, go online and just read. I think it's the introduction and is it the first chapter that are online, George? I think I know it's the introduction and I think a a good part of the the first chapter, you know, get a taste of it and, and see how you think this might apply to your own life and what insights it gives you into your own life or your work life. And I think I would leave you with that. That's beautiful. And and if if I could just say one last thing too, is that, you know, we're talking about a theory here, but this Mm -hmm. is a theory about human connection, cooperation, collaboration. Um, And as we work on this theory, but we're embedded in very important relationships with Steve Porges, with Deb Dana, Mm -hmm. with each other, now with you guys. And, um, that's an aspect that's been a, an added benefit of doing this work is that we've come into contact and made connection with beautiful people from around the world who really want to be in that social engagement and to open their hearts to each other. And so it doesn't end up just being a theoretical exercise, but it's really a way of building a, a family of interconnections across many different types of people. Yeah, and, I, and, and Matt and I uh, say, like we're trying to say in our book, we're, we're just trying to find ways to describe what already exists. Mm. So the, yeah. the, the, the benefits, the biological benefits, the, the, the things that the polyvagal um, has a, a beautiful theoretical expo- uh, description of, they already exist, they're there. Uh, this just helps us get a little closer, a little bit more um, cognitively in touch with it and mm-hmm. confident, confidently um, uh, let our bodies free to engage with it, to free ourselves up, which is what I hear you saying, this, this community of going, let's just do this. Let's just let this happen uh, yeah. rather than fight it. So that's beautiful. Very Wonderful. Wonderful. Marilyn Sanders, George Thompson, thank you so much for joining us here on the Science of Psychotherapy. It's been wonderful chatting. It's been wonderful. Thank you guys so much. Thank you so much. Oh, I really enjoyed that, Matt. Yeah. What, nice, what nice people. <laughs> Such <laughs> Seriously nice people. Nice people. But, um, yeah, but just practicing what they preach, you know, seeking yeah. to regulate and be engaged mm-hmm. and... Uh, uh, yeah. they, seem to, they seem to enjoy, uh, you know, working and talking with us, which is, which, yeah. which is always an effort, I think, for people. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it, it was nice. Well, I really enjoyed it and valued yeah. uh, some valuable gems right in there. I mean, that that the one that sticks out in my head is that we begin with co-regulation and mm-hmm. we learn self-regulation. So when we're struggling because we haven't learned self-regulation, one of the things we need to go back and learn is co-regulation. It, yes. It's a it's a wonderful, wonderful uh, overall message to a lot of therapists. Okay, so let me just encourage you to check out Polyvagal Theory and the Developing Child, Systems of Care for Strengthening Kids, Families and Communities by Marilyn Sanders and George Thompson. It's a Norton professional book.
Richard, yes. it's uh, been wonderful once again. Oh, before we leave, uh, look, if you do want to uh, help us by becoming a subscriber, we would love your support. Become a subscriber of the science of psychotherapy.net. We have a wealth of information for you there. We've, we've been doing this documentary series on the science of us. We've just released one on autism. Yes, and so, yeah, certainly, absolutely help us, but help you. Uh, I, I was looking at the uh, the documentary we, we just as, as we're putting it together, obviously, because I, <laughs> I I wrote it and narrated it. But I, Matt, you you and uh, and Jake and your son as a cinematographer, it's so beautiful. It's so Thank well you. shot. I, I don't want to sort of look like I'm blowing my own trumpet, but I didn't do any of that. I'm just look, I'm just a viewer, <laughs> and I'm going, it's a beauty. So anyway, right. that'll that'll be out, and, and certainly if you're a member, uh, that's online uh, already. If you're not a member. You come in and you, you become a member of us, and you get everything. Uh, you do. It's, it's fabulous. Anyway, enough of the <laughs> enough of the plugging and the enthusiasm. It's time to go and uh, uh, do some other work. I've got to get our magazine together. Goodness gracious, <laughs> we do. All right, thanks everybody for joining us here on the Science of Psychotherapy podcast, and we will catch you next time. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to the Science of Psychotherapy podcast. For more great science, go to the scienceofpsychotherapy.com.